to another episode of the Institute for Conflicts Individuation Podcast. I am Dr. Lahab Al Samurai, and today I have a very special guest. Um, today I have Perlene, and Perlene is going to introduce herself. She is an ND student at Bastyr University. I want her to tell everybody about herself. And we're going to be discussing um, the recent political situation um, in Minneapolis, but also in the country as a whole and in our society as a whole, of what's going on right now and how it's affecting us. Um, Perlene is an ND student. Perlene, tell us about yourself. Hi, Dr. Samurai. Thank you for having me today. Um, I am 29 years old. I grew up originally in the state of Arizona first in inner city Arizona. And then after my mom went back to school and became a pharmacist, I moved to rural Arizona where I hit, I suppose, my most formative years. My adolescent years were spent there. Um, I traveled to Louisiana to do my undergrad and I was in Shreveport, mostly being a caretaker for my veteran family members that were getting el elderly, getting up there in age. And, um, at that time, I decided to join a sorority and also become active in some of our student groups on campus, like our chemistry club and our gay straight alliance is what it was called at the time. Um, and also in our merit-based science club. Um, I graduated from there with two degrees, a biochemistry degree and a chemistry degree as well as a minor in biology. And I, I love to say this because I'm, I'm upset that I didn't follow through with it, but I was two classes away from also having a minor in math just because. Um, yeah, then I moved to Washington with my mom who retired up here and started best year because I wanted to become a doctor. And that was kind of always the goal from the start of college. Up until college, I wanted to be a lawyer. So I spent a lot of time doing politically oriented activities. I was part of the Junior Statesman of America. I uh, interned with the senator one summer. I was active in, oh my gosh, I think every political group that we had on campus in high school at one point or another. So um, I do have kind of a love for politics and a love for talking about what can be done better. I'm kind of an optimist, so I'm, I'm the person that believes that everything can be done better. We just need to be able to come together and overcome our differences and educate because hate is based out of ignorance as far as I'm concerned and make this world the one that we want to see. Um, yeah, that's pretty much me. I like hiking and playing with my dog and and listening to pretty much every music but jazz, honestly. But country country is my my favorite. Country is my go-to. You told me that. Uh, you told me about your love for country music. I, I can't say the same thing, but you love country music. So my father loves country music. I wanted to ask you a question about um, when you heard about what happened in Minneapolis. Um, what were your thoughts? Um, as a human being in this world, as a person of color, as a woman, as a 
citizen of the world, as a um, soon-to-be doctor, as um, just an empath. How do you, what do you think? How do you feel about this? When I first heard about it, my, my first response I did put on Facebook, which was another one, seriously, like, come on, America. This is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and then reading more into it and watching the video, which I felt was something that had to happen from start to finish as a black person, as a member of our greater society, as a American, I felt it was my duty to actually watch that video from start to finish and feel sick with what happened and experience that rage. So I did. And it was, it was probably the first time that I was actually filled with enough hate to understand and applaud people who were being violent. Usually I'm, I'm not a fan of the riots, but in this case, I was, when my first gut reaction was yes, because this is ridiculous. And my second reaction was why didn't anyone stop it? Because there were enough people there that in my mind it could have been stopped. So I guess, yeah, it made me, it made me very angry. I was extremely upset when I saw it and I started thinking about what if this was one of my cousins or what if this was one of my brothers or heaven forbid this one day is one of my sons. And I started doing things like praying for girls or thinking about not having kids at all. Like why would I want to bring any child into a world like this where this is the response to someone using an allegedly forged $10 bill. So it's uh... I, I agree with you. I think everybody should see the video from the beginning to the end because I think we need to be witnesses for this young man whose life was tragically taken away without a chance to um, grow old like the rest of us. And unfortunately, this has become a um, plague, I think, uh, of sorts because it keeps happening across the country in different places in the country. Um, and it's happening uh, more frequently, or is it because uh, Facebook and YouTube that we are seeing what was happening on a regular basis now, we're seeing it on social media because before I think that um, they tried to keep this out of the news. They tried to keep these stories out of the news. Uh, um, so the first step was that they started by putting um, body cams on them to stop them from killing people. So now they're killing people uh, with videotape and it, it has not really, it doesn't seem that has deterred them. So um, I, I think they've been given a, um, They've been told to be able to do things with impunity. I think that comes from um, the orange clown who's in the White House. I think that's where that comes from. I think the first time he met with uh, law enforcement, 
He told them what happened to slapping guys across the head and punching them and kicking them and um, very disturbing video that was early on in his administration. And he's been touting it with all different types of ways. And now uh, when the looting starts, the shooting will start, you know, um, he is instigating a riot war, a race war of sorts. Um, and I don't know what to say. What do you think? I think he is, and I think he knows exactly what he's doing. And I think that it's, it's definitely not becoming more common. It's definitely just now being recorded. That is what is happening. I agree. It's, it's coming from a black family from many different places and hearing the stories that have been told over and over and over again and the warnings that we've gotten as children about how you have to act in public because you are black is just commonplace. So I feel like maybe somehow someone is exploiting that at this point and black people in general are just kind of over it and so they're showing this is why we have to say these things this is why we have to tell our kids you have to be on your p's and q's when you are out in public you cannot do what you see your your non-black counterparts do because you will get in trouble you could possibly die from this if your white friend was to go into a store with a forfeit with a forged ten dollar bill or even go in the store and shoplift they would not be met with such extreme force no. and it's commonplace across the country and people like to think oh it's just it's just in this one small part of the country and it's like no it's everywhere it's systemic it is a systemic problem and it's not it's something that cities, it's in conservative towns it's all over the place it's not it's not unique to minneapolis it's not new to New York is not unique to Chicago. It's not unique to Seattle. It's just not unique. I mean, and I think um, I think the term "I am sick and tired" keeps coming back to my mind of being sick and tired. Um, that keeps reverberating in my head. But I think this is uh, a lot more incestuous, uh, insidious. They, um, even the people around him who were with him in uniform were, were, were standing watching. They were witnesses to a homicide while a human being was pleading for their life. And um, it's very difficult. I was here during the, the Rodney King riots. And it was very disturbing at the time um, that I thought this would be a symbol that will bring in the in the popular culture to the point where maybe you know 
people would watch out, but no, it didn't take, it never takes, you know, I think he was a, he, he was a blip for them on a huge screen that they just keep doing this over and over again. Um, it's almost, um, it's a very eerie feeling because it feels like um, a time where um, minorities in this country had no voice and where if somebody has a voice, they're just um, dismissed or taken out or shot or, so they have all these like liberal voices on talk and they're not talking about the pain. They're not talking about suffering. They're not talking about the killing. What do you think, Perlene? I agree. They're not talking about it. Um, going back to them watching this man die, I wanted to know what was going through everyone, the police officers that were standing there letting it happen. I, I would love to know what was going through their heads. I want to know if they knew that this man was capable of such violence, such blatant outright violence, and if they condoned it or if they were too scared of blowback on them, if they were to step in and stop it. And again, I think that might just be my optimistic side, hoping that there was a shred of dignity somewhere in there. Um, In terms of this becoming a better a better symbol, I don't I don't feel optimistic that this is really going to change anything. I feel like they keep talking about the riots, they keep talking about all of the so-called negative impacts that are coming from this death without talking about the root problem, which is, like we said, the systemic racism, racism that is present within this country. Yes. It's, it's bone deep. And to root that out, we are going to have to have some really nasty, hard conversations. And that is not going to happen as long as we have our current administration. No, I think the current administration has uh, poured uh, gasoline. They've thrown everything they could throw at this fire to stoke it up and uh, make it bigger and bigger and bigger. I think they, they want that. I think they want to declare money. I think they want to get rid of elections. I think they want to do all this. I think they're still quietly cheering it on. I think they want it to explode. I think they want it to spread. I don't think they want to contain it at all. I think they want to make it bigger. I think they want, uh, they want people out there shooting other people, so this ignites the country. That's what I think they want. Um, at the same time, watching people be angry, I have to say I, I had mixed feelings about the governor of Minnesota declaring, um, calling 500 National Guardsmen. There is no need for that. Let them, let the energy um, play itself out. Let them get their anger out. Let them speak up. It looks like from the, whatever they're calling it, looting or destruction, it, it, it's always a handpick full of people who use opportunities when chaos is abound 
just like um, Warren Buffett and his friends, when there is chaos in the economy, they hide behind others and buy a bunch of shit at a very low price and then sell it back at a very high price. Mm. Those guys are professionals. Unfortunately, these people are amateurs. And so you can't be an amateur thief in this country. That's bad. <laughs> but if you're a professional thief, well, that's just being smart. Like Trump used to say that all the time when he was trying to get elected. He's like, I know how to work the system. I know how to break the system. I know where the system is broken. So they gave him the broken system. How are you feeling about your, your own safety, your own feelings of, um, as a citizen of this country? I know that there are places I cannot go because I would not be safe. That is a reality that I have. I know that there are places even here within Washington that are not safe for me to travel. And because of your skin color. Because of my skin color. Specifically because of my skin color, because I am a black woman in this country. And it's, it's hard because I have a very large and very diverse group of friends that would like to do things with me, like go hunting and go camping. But there's always this risk that I run when I try and do something that's considered outside of the norm that I'm putting myself at undue risk. So I don't go to those places. I am going to miss one of my dearest friends' bachelorette parties, more than likely, because at this point with the current climate, I do not feel safe going to Mississippi. There is no point in me putting myself in that kind of situation. And I know that my friends and everyone that's involved with everything anywhere I go, I know I am protected, but that only comes to a point. Their protection will not stop the police from profiling me or stop me from not being able to enjoy myself in certain restaurants or in certain stores or in certain locales. And rather than put my friends and my loved ones in situations where they have to deal with that kind of hate and ignorance that I have to deal with on a regular basis, I always choose to go places where everyone will have a good time. And that infuriates me. It infuriates me a lot of the time. And it infuriates me that my friends and family members that are not black or can pass for, can pass for a different race don't have to deal, don't have to deal with that, that they don't understand why I'm so mad. They are there. They are sympathetic. They understand that I am upset, but they don't understand why I'm upset. They don't understand why I am yelling and screaming. They don't understand why some days I say, I just can't deal with people right now. It's not something that they can grasp. So even though we like to believe that this is a safe place and we can travel anywhere, I know as a reality that that is not true. I agree with you. I think, uh, I, I think what's interesting is what you're talking about is you're saying uh, pass for. 
It's another term for passport if you are uh, a, for people who don't understand what a passport is, is that there's a different type of passport that you can actually maybe maneuver the country and be able to live decently if you are not associated with your ethnic group. So I think Perlene um, is saying passport and it makes me think of passports where you need a passport to travel or to work or to do things. There are certain jobs that don't take you. Now we know this in the history of our country and I say that very proudly. I am very uh, proudly a citizen of this country. This is my home and it's been my home since I was a child. Um, but I am never treated like I am at home. I'm always treated as foreign. I'm treated as the other. I am treated as everything but who I am. Um, but you, you are correct. It's, it's very difficult for us, those who are in at larger mainstream areas and connected into the larger mainstream working in the mainstream where our numbers are very few and far in between. And at the same time, uh, needing to speak up, needing to say something, needing to yell, needing to say, God damn it, what the fuck? How many people do they need to kill every week? How many times do these need to happen before it stops? Who is gonna stop this? Shouldn't they stop it by now? Isn't this a crime against humanity? I mean, what's, uh, we, we, we are better than South Africa? I don't think so. I don't think we have better. I think over there it was out in the open. Here it's veiled and, you know, um, it wasn't me. It was my ancestors. It's not me. Why are you looking at me? And the thing that needs to be said is that we're not looking at you. We're just looking. We're just looking for anybody to say, that's not right. And I think what you're asking for is your friends and family members of, um, to, even though it does not affect them because they are not part of that ethnic group. It does affect you. It affects you, it affects me, it affects every child out there whose skin is brown or black or different, who has a, we're always staring, waiting, going, is somebody gonna do something about that? Is somebody gonna say something about that? That's not okay. Why is that going on? What do you say to a little kid? What do you say to a 10 year old? What do you say, trust the police? What do you say? You can't say that to them. This is a difficult situation because this, the, the, the systemic problems of our age have become um, apparent and it's time for them to change. We cannot keep doing this. It's 2020. This is, we, uh, this is more like uh, the 1960s. We can't keep doing this. We can't, I, we can't keep fighting up the hill, getting to the top of the hill, and then get pushed down again. This can't keep going on because 
basically people who are disenfranchised forever are not going to feel like they want to participate in the system. It's hard to participate in a system that doesn't include you. A. Second, it's hard to participate the way they want you to participate because you're not participating with their rules. But when you participate in their rules, it makes them look good and makes you look bad. So I think uh, Kaepernick, when he went on one knee, it made them look bad because he wouldn't play the game. It's symbolic. He was putting his knee down. He was in the finger. He was in Suzanne Barr spitting, grabbing his crotch. Now, she did that at the National Anthem. So, and that was forgotten pretty quick. That wasn't a big deal. She got her own show. Yeah. Yeah. And she did it again on the show. And that's why they got rid of her the second time. But this time, because she was basically, basically throwing racial slurs left and right, like she doesn't care. Because this is okay at the top of the pyramid. And we know who sits at the top of the pyramid. It doesn't matter whose face it is. We know who sits at the top of the pyramid. So this is about, are we going to get the fair shake? What do you think, Pearlie? I... You're young and optimistic. I am old and pessimistic. So... I am young and optimistic, and I was raised by people who were old, who were young and pessimistic, because they grew up in the 60s and in the 70s, and yeah. they will say, nothing's changed, mm. nothing's different. So that makes me think that nothing, nothing's going to change, nothing's different. But I also have to think that some good has to come from this. Some good has to come from what we dealt with it's 2020 this was blatant murder everyone is outraged something might change this might be the catalyst i heard about riots in phoenix from friends and i was blown away i was shocked because that is not something that i would have expected especially growing up in sheriff joe arpaio's phoenix and sheriff joe arpaio's arizona they would have been mowed down and no one would have mm. batted an eye at that point, or they would have been put in basically concentration camps in the middle of the desert in the middle of summer and mm. no one would have batted an eye. So the fact that they were allowed to riot at all gives me hope that things are changing because I remember a time where that would have been an automatic death sentence. So yeah. You know, when you're not part of the mainstream, they call it the riot. When you're oh, part yes. of the stream, they call it a protest. A protest that got out of hand. With when, good people. With good people. When people of color go out in the street, it's not a protest. It's a riot. It's something that is violent. The, they don't know where what they're doing. They don't know why they're doing it it doesn't serve a purpose they hurt their own objectives i think there's this whole philosophy of how i'm going to put you down how i'm going to tear you apart and how i'm going to show you as being completely out of hand 
and I'm going to show you back to the back of the room and sit you down in your broken chair in the dark where there's no light and you have no book. I'm just going to sit you back there and I want you to shut up again. Because yeah. that's the terminology that is used to keep people under control. And that terminology needs to be corrected by people who understand the terminology because we're educated and we, 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 know, we know what this type of, um, what is it called, subjugation, terrorism, um, uh, systematic, destruction of people in a society targeting kindergarten kids do you know that fifth and sixth grade african-american boys are more likely to start going to jail if they get into a fight or a scuffle so it starts in elementary school they start uh, meeting the cops in not a very good way not as the neighborhood protectors they start meeting the cops as antagonists and that relationship is built up as they get older. But no, then they call them gang members and they call them hoodlums and they call them hoods. And if anybody speaks out, which usually was, um, if there was a rap group or an artist who stood out and called them out and called them on their shit, um, I remember, uh, I listened to Tupac a lot, but they, I listened to him and he's, he's calling out all these people who are calling him out, Bob Dole and Dan Quayle. And this is like, it's like a who's who. <laughs> people. And all he's talking about is life being poor. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about life having nothing. Having nothing, what it's like to have nothing. How to live when you have nothing and how you're told that you should live when you have nothing. It's easy to tell people they have nothing and how to live because they would have something if they lived the way you told them to live. Another form of oppression, gotta love the phrasing. You know, if you only did what we told you to do, everything would be okay. Yeah, but it's not. It's the same thing, it's, a, it's, a, it's the same thing in academia. One of the biggest problems is, is that uh, uh, minority faculty are told to toe the line. Yes. Not to, stand, not to be political, not to rile up the students, not to, as this is their reality. This is their life. Are we pretending this is not their reality, not their life? This is not my reality, not my life. So what you're telling me is we have to pretend that we don't exist in the same world you exist in. That is, that is a reality. I went through an entire week of online classes and not until my very last class on Friday evening did a single one of my professors mention what had happened and offer some space. And I, I commend them for that because they are, in a sense, putting their jobs on the line, their livelihood on the line, just offering that one little that one little sentence, that one little piece of, hey, I'm here, I recognize we don't live in the same place and some of you might be hurting more than others. Like that's, that to me was 
so comforting and so loving. And I, I did start crying because I was like, finally, I have been so upset and going through this week and having no one acknowledge what is going on for a very significant part of my community is it's heartbreaking and it was upsetting. And then I also had to keep in mind, these people have lives so they can only speak out to a point where they feel comfortable. They have families that they have to take care of also. And it just makes me more furious that I have to keep in mind other people when I am trying to get something done for my people. And it's just, I I think that's unfair. I think you need to be able to speak your truth. I think it's very unfair that they keep telling us that uh, even at Bastyr, they keep telling us to speak your truth, but they don't like the truth that is spoken. That is unfortunate, but that's unfortunate for them. It's not for us because we will continue to speak our truth. This has nothing to do with them as an entity or university. This has everything to do with the society that we live in and that we exist in. And because it's a university that exists within that society, that university that is teaching young men and women about the world and about being doctors needs to understand that these doctors are going to go out in a broken world, in a world that needs healing. And part of the healing process is to be able to talk about all the wounds that we have on the streets. I worked for a long time on the south side of Chicago when I was in Chicago. I I worked with um, um, children who, through post-adoption, I would do therapy with at their homes. And most of them were um, kids who were adopted by their grandparents um, because of their parents, either uh, drug problems or they passed away or they had some other problem or they were physically, or it was neglect, different issues, but it's all related to poverty. It has nothing to do with anything else. They're all related to poverty. The drug abuse in the community, the, uh, the incarceration, the uh, death, the uh, illnesses, all has to do with poverty. So in a lot of ways, I, when I'm thinking to about me and I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about all those others out there, I think what we need to tell everybody else, those who are part of the greater majority, those who control a lot of levers of the power, that we don't intend to just go away quietly. We will keep speaking. We will keep poking our finger. We will keep standing up and we will keep raising our hand and we will keep shouting. We're not going to give this up just because they've decided that, oh, it's gotten out of control. Actually, I saw pictures yesterday. It did not look like out of control. It looked like a protest in one of a major city where a young man's neck was broken under the knee of those who are paid by the people of the city to freaking protect them. That's their job. Their job is to protect and serve. I don't know who they're protecting and serving by breaking everybody's neck, but they're not protecting and serving anybody. They're not protecting and serving us. No, not at all. So I, I w- please go ahead. Um, I just, I had a few thoughts on, on what you've said Ooh. in terms of speaking out and speaking your truth. And I, I would love to 
say that it's something I've done my entire life, but I haven't. And it makes me angry. And so I talk to my younger, younger mentees, I suppose, and kids that I encounter that are in high school and in elementary school. And I tell them, speak out. If something doesn't make sense to you, you need to ask why this is happening, what's going on from a personal perspective in my high school. I was in what was called like an international program and we read things fall apart. Fantastic book. We read like water for chocolate. Fantastic book. We read a bunch of old white men writing Mm -hmm. about race relations. We did not read a single book by a black American author. No, we did not read a single book about a black American. And they told us, you can go out into the world now when we graduated and your culture, the same program, they told us the civil war was not about slavery. That was their preface before we started that section. And at the time I was so scared to say anything that I didn't because I was the only black person in a class full of white people. So how do you speak up in a situation like that? And now having lived my experience, I say, you speak up and you expect your white allies that are there to support you and say, no, no, she has a point. What can be done about this? What are you as an administration? What are you as a society going to do about this injustice that we are seeing? What are you as a society going to do when you are in a sixth grade classroom and one black person gets jumped by three other people and the only one that gets expelled from school is the black person. That is a problem. And that is a reality that we live with every single day, especially in our- Consistent, consistent reality. It's a consistent reality. It's not a once in a blue moon reality. It's a consistent reality. And that's what people have to understand around them. Because I've heard a lot of people go, yeah, you know, it happens. It's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal because it is still happening. It should not be happening in the first place. Dismissing things seems to be the way that they keep shutting us up. Let's dismiss this. Let's pretend this is not a big deal. Let's pretend that we didn't do anything. Let's pretend. I think Tupac says, a society that tries to murder me and then lie to me. First, they try to murder me, and then they lie to me. Well, you know, it's like, okay, I should believe you the second time. Yes, (laughs) I do. I have to say, Perlene, I had the same problem for a long time. I thought, you know, being part, uh, working within the system, you know, everybody says, work within the system. You know, you get things done. You know, it's going to be different when you're there. Mm, Nope. Nope. I've not seen that. I have not seen them. I've been in the system most of my life. I've been in the system. So it's not something. And I just had to stop worrying about how I am coming off and just telling it like it is. And I think for you, the same. I think you should tell it like it is. I don't think we have enough time on this planet to not tell it like it. I agree. And I would say that, that this murder was the catalyst. There I will agree. be more silence. 
And I would hope that everyone feels the same way. Of every, of every ethnicity and every color, because we, the death of this young man affects all of us. It affects us as moral people. It affects us as individual. It affects us as a country of citizens. It affects us as a community. It affects us as old and young. It's good to have you today. I really wanted to hear your voice and I wanted everybody to hear your voice because I think it's really important that they hear from somebody who wakes up every day, has no choice. This is who they were born. They open their eyes in the morning and that's who they see. This is who I see every morning. The other day I was, uh, I was walking, um, me and my wife uh, were walking uh, across a small bridge nearby. It's not really a bridge. It goes over like a street, a private street. But it's out of one of the neighborhoods around here in Magnolia. So we were practicing social distancing. There were two people who were carrying tents on their backs that were packed, walking across on the sidewalk. And then there's this like a divider between the street and the sidewalk. So we decided to walk on the street. It's empty and very little cars come and go. But this minivan, with this very tall white man, decides to stop at the, the top of the street, at the top of the bridge. And I, me and my wife are almost halfway through the bridge. And we're on the right side. We're not standing in the middle of this bridge. Or There's plenty of room to go around us. And you can see the other two people have just exited the sidewalk. We can't get back on the sidewalk because of the divider. So he honks his horn like I need to get out of his way. Then he stops his car and says, you don't know how to walk on the sidewalk. And then I got irritated, so I gave him the finger. But the question for me is, Always. Is that really what he was saying? Or was I don't like your fucking face? I think it's I don't like your fucking face. And so those who say, why do you think it's always about race? Because it is. It is. I agree. It's a constant, it is a constant battle. It is a constant dialogue in the back of, I believe every person of color's head is, is this because of my skin color or is this because you genuinely just don't like what I did? And it's yes. unfortunate that that's the world we live in. And it is extremely cathartic when you know that you are around people that the reason they say or do what they say or do is because they genuinely feel a way about what your actions are saying and not what your skin color is yelling at them. And I would pray that everybody finds those kinds of people, the ones that you know, without a doubt, you can trust and you can love of any race, creed, religion. It's important for us to have that multicultural society because Nothing is going to get better if we don't start stepping out of our comfort zones, making friends with people 
that are different than us in every sense of the word. Bring them into our neighborhoods, bringing them in into our families, bringing them into our weddings, bringing them in to our celebrations, because this is the only way we get to know the people around us and to become a bigger family. And that is what we are on this planet. We are, we are a family. Um, the killing, maiming, torture, destruction of each other is a crime against all of us. And it doesn't matter who commits it. It doesn't matter why they do it. It is a crime against all of us. I want to thank you so much today for being on the Individuation Podcast and for the IFC's Individuation Podcast. Would you like to um, say anything um, in summary or um, until we meet again something you want to say? Um, I would like to put out a call to action to everyone to stand up in whatever way you feel fit and speak out. If that is posting on Facebook, if that is having a conversation, even at your dinner table or at a lunch table or with colleagues, whatever way you can speak up, speak out. Nothing like this is going to change as long as it is just the minorities that are speaking up and speaking out. It is when we come together as a community, when we come together and march with everyone of every race that says this is wrong, this is a problem, that is when we are gonna see some effective change. So I agree with you, Perlin. Uh, we need to speak out and spread the word about speaking out. We need to always um, watch out for our fellow human beings on this planet, our uh, brothers and sisters out there, uh, the kids out there, and the elderly out there. We need to take care of everyone. Perlin, it was an honor to have you on the IFC's Individuation Podcast. Thank you very much. And I look forward to talking everybody um, about another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. Thank you very much. the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.